hello guys. Uh, welcome to our today's uh, podcast. And today we have with us a special guest. It's uh, Scott Millard from a CEO of a company called Firdemic. Uh, they are a publisher uh, who works with horror games. And he's going to talk a little bit about his career, a little bit about the way the games are distributed right now, how to get into publishing and how to work there. And he's also going to share some tips for developers who want to publish their own game. Greetings, and welcome to the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. In each episode, host Kirill Tokorev invites video game industry leaders to talk about the world of game development. No topic is off limits as long as it relates to video game development. New episodes are in the works, so remember to follow us or subscribe and share with someone you know will also enjoy the podcast. I have a couple of questions for you, Scott, and uh, maybe we can start with like a little introduction. Yeah, yes. Uh, I mean, we can talk about Fiademic. Obviously, we can talk about um, um, you know my my games career. And but I, I had this PowerPoint presentation that I, that I did ages and ages ago, and I certainly don't have it with me now. But um, and it was called "Build Your Own Bethesda," <laughs> and it was kind of about how to make a uh, 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 a um, an independent games. Yeah, tell us about that. Tell us about that. Well, it sounds amazing. Build your own Bethesda. It sounds amazing. Well, well, yeah, because I mean, you know. I suppose one of the things that a lot of people have kind of forgotten over the last few years is the value of publishing services. I mean, we talk to developers all the time about, um, you know, uh, you know, us publishing their game or looking at their game, and and we come across a lot of skepticism about it. And because I mean, you look at the end of the day, everyone can publish a game themselves. They can put it up on Steam, they can press release and off it goes. And so why would you want to share your your revenue with with, with a publisher? And um but these uh, these publishing services are really really important and they're becoming even more important with uh um uh, uh the barrier to entry to game development you know becoming lower and lower and lower. And by that I mean, you know, the, the tools to make games are literally download and start and and start making i mean you know the unreal engine unity is all uh free and so you can make a game relatively cheaply with just your time uh and then it comes to publishing it on various different platforms getting it out there working it across the life cycle of that game and uh of course you know marketing it marketing it getting it in front of as many people as possible and um you know so so all these things are really critically important and one of the other um things that that i i had come across last week was um i had i spoken to many venture capitalists and they were all going you know no 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 we're not interested in publishers we're only interested in games as a service and we're going to invest in those things. And that has been the story for the last, you know, perhaps, you know, two, three years. And, you know, millions and millions of dollars uh, have been invested in, you know, companies with only one IP. And those are starting to release now. And a lot of those are starting to release now. And I was speaking to a rather large venture capital company the other day and he was saying, yeah, well, it's not panning out very well because, you know, people are taking taking these monster bets on one game and so and when that game doesn't actually uh, uh sell um you know th- th- where do you go i mean there's no there's, there's no uh, uh doubling up but in the game of publishing of course you have 
uh, are grouped together titles and you have a backstop should one of your games not do as you uh, as you expect. You can always move on to, to another game. And that has always been the, the business of publishing, whether it be movies, whether it be books, whether it be, uh, um, you know, games or, or music, uh, anything in entertainment. It was grouping products together to have uh, 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 and, and grouping those products together so that you could leverage the, the, the entire range of products to promote each individual product. Interesting. So funny you mentioned uh, Bethesda because my favorite story about Bethesda is when they released the Terminator game and at the same time its software released, uh, I think it was Doom. And at the, at the time, like when they were compared and competing on the market, Doom obviously became this uh, cultural phenomenon. But at the end of the day, further down the line, Bethesda actually acquired its software and all the tech and all the brands and all the other. So that just goes for, you know, publishing still wins and at the end of the day in, in, in some manner. Yeah, and I think, you know, more recently, I mean, and, and, and I mean, there's still a lot of skeptics out there saying, oh, publishing's an old business, but, you know, you have companies like Tiny Build um, and you know, Devolver, which have just both recently, in the, well, at least in the last like 18 months or so, uh, are listed on the AIM in, in the UK and the valuations have been insane. Um, you know, simply because, you know, the, again, I mean, they're solid, it's a solid business model. Yes, it can go a bit wrong here and there, but, you know, you always have um, a catalogue to fall back on uh, uh, should, you know, your primary or your big hit of that year not do so well. Um, but, I mean, you know, so I suppose, and, and for, for, for smaller, you know, younger publishers, I mean, it's really, really important for them to sort of understand what it is that the, the publishers do. So perhaps we can, we can talk about that. So tell, <laughs> tell us about, uh, tell us a bit about uh, Feardemic, because before the, when I was preparing for the podcast, I kind of checked out the website and it was my understanding that you guys kind of specialize in a certain theme. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about this and uh, why this particular theme, what makes it so interesting and so on. Yeah, so, so essentially Feardemic is a publisher of video games and we publish across all platforms, PC, PlayStation 5, Series X, etc. And um, uh, we, we're a little different in that we specialize in a genre of horror. And, you know, when we say horror... Um, when, I mean, one of the things about the games industry, which is pretty interesting, actually, is that, that we actually categorize genre by game mechanic as opposed to uh, uh, the narrative style. So when you see sort of adventure, first-person shooter, all those types of things on, on a graph, uh, you, you're sort of struggling to find horror. And a lot of people sort of say to me, oh, you know, why, why are you doing horror? It's such a niche business. But actually, I mean, when you consider uh, uh, the narrative as horror and then you look look at all the games that are sort of released every year, uh, almost about 30% of them, 30% of games would fall within this sort of uh, a vertical that we call horror. Low-intensity horror all the way through to high-intensity horror. And when I mean low-intensity horror, I mean, you know, uh, um, you know, children's games like The Addams Family or even Piggy on Roblox. I mean, that is a horror narrative game, but it's aimed at kids. It's a low intensity. And then you've got, you know, the more high intensity games like, you know, Dark Fracture. 
and uh, uh, um, you know. And this comes from this idea of our founder, actually. And, and the company Fiademic was founded by another development studio called Blue Batine. And uh, uh, we are, and they're still our biggest shareholder. In fact, we're sort of, you know, in their office now. Um, but, uh, uh, and the thesis was to be the best in your your, your, your area and they picked psychological horror. And so, uh, layers of fear came, um, the observer came and they were all psychological horror games and they became extremely good at them. And one of the things that, that Peter Babiano, the, the founder of, uh, Bloober Team sort of kind of wanted to do was take that experience that they had and the, the, the IP that they sort of, you know, gathered around the sort of expertise of, in doing it and, um, share that with, uh, other developers around around the world or small developers around the world that are perhaps doing their first or second game. And this is where Fiademic comes in. So if you can imagine Bloober Team, they focus on you know, their own creative, creative projects, uh, whether it be their own created IPs or licensed IPs. Um, Fiademic, we do all the third-party publishing. We look for projects all over the world, and uh, whether they're in Los Angeles, whether they're in Israel, whether they're in here in Poland, and um, we invest in those projects uh, not only just with you know um, our cash, but our expertise as well. Um, given and, and you know Bluebird's expertise, whether it be in sound design, whether it be in you know getting certain plugins to work, uh, we can provide that assistance to make sure that um, you know at the end of the day that developer is going to deliver a game that, that they want to deliver. You know, it's not, of course, you know, art is art. You know, it's not really always a given, especially with um, smaller smaller teams, and you don't really know what you're going to get at the end. Um, and hence why, you know, it's great to sort of have a, 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 as wider catalogue or larger catalogue as you can um, to ensure that, you know, some of those some of those games, you know, that, that actually get released actually make it uh, uh, to a wider audience. So... Question: um, Why horror? Like, if you can talk from a publisher perspective in terms of, you know, revenue, maybe sales numbers and so on. When you think about horror games, I think about games like maybe Bloodborne, maybe games like Resident Evil, right? Um, those kind of big titles, Silent Hill. A lot from Japan. Most of them are from Japan, that image. Right? So those are super successful titles, like millions of copies sold. Um, but I was under the impression that was more kind of, um, you know, like a one brand story or something like that, that it's not widespread. Since you're doing this, in this working in that genre, like tell us a little bit about the some of the numbers or maybe some of the, just general trends there. Yeah, so so um, you know, one of the, uh, the the biggest platforms certainly to emerge out of um, the uh, 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 the pandemic was you know Roblox, and um, you know Roblox were the darlings of everybody for in 20, 2021. And the the biggest game that they had on their platform was a game called Piggy. That game is a horror game without any question. I mean, it is a low intensity horror game. Um, so. Uh, it is a very, very widely appreciated genre. Um, and, I mean, as far as the size of the market goes, I mean, we think, I mean, again, the, you know, getting the exact data because the, the, the industry doesn't follow 
Uh, the games industry doesn't follow games by narrative style. They follow them by, you know, first-person shooter, adventure game, simulator, those types of things. So, I mean, to do, um, there has been some sort of narrative narrative sort of uh, uh, dissections that you can sort of overlay and then make some judgment. But I would say, and I th- certainly, you know, the, the sort of watermark that we go on is that about $13.1 billion, uh, uh, billion dollars a year uh, in PC games and console games is generated from games that would fit within the um, uh, uh, within the vertical of horror to some degree. I mean, you know, the medium is primarily an adventure game, right? So, um, uh, uh, but it is really a horror game. So, um, uh, we, it, it's a substantial market. You know, it, it, it is almost a, you know a little under a third of all you know games produced are you know um, uh, have a narrative thread that would easily be translated as horror now as to why horror um have you ever been to a Ramstein concert <laughs> Um, you know, if you if you sort of compare the sort of end user or the person that generally is interested in horror, they're not dissimilar to sort of people that are interested into sort of, you know alternative alternative sort of music scene. They're, they're very they're they're very um, engaged. Uh, and and this is one thing that Bluebird team found out. And this was Peter. It was Peter when I first met him. He's explaining this to me. He's saying, "Look, you know, they're really, really engaged." And what we found is when we actually, you know, produced dropped layers of fear, and and it started becoming a, a huge success. They're really interested in following what you're going to do next. They're really interested and engaged and open to what it is you're going to do next. And um, and what we've found over the past uh, uh, past couple of years, as we've built Fiademic, as we're we're starting to sort of build our own community, and um, you know, it's 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 tough. You know, there's a lot of things out there distracting users, but you know, it, it's much easier when you have a user base that has sort of like these common interests that you can sort of predict what they are. Um, it would be much harder, for example, trying to build an audience with general interests uh, that are interested in, say, for example, you know, cars. Everyone's interested in cars. So the more uh, uh, general those interests are, the harder they are to pinpoint, uh, especially across social media today. So um, from a perspective of being able to understand our audience and you know carrying that audience along with you from game to game you know horror is a much uh, a more sort of robust um, uh, um, robust narrative style to use and you know look it's fun I mean who doesn't like to be scared yeah yeah I mean I have a question um, two rather um, so one of the big ones is who makes horror games right so if you look at some of those titles, you might think, I mean, what's going on there, right? But as, you know, coming from the developer side and knowing a lot of developers, I know that I know the developers at Layers of Few, for example, so we did an interview with them uh, a, a while back when the game was just uh, being released. <coughs> They're just like normal guys. They work in the offices. They, the subject matter is this, right? The, the ghost and stuff. But... Um, it would be nice, since you are a publisher, if you could discuss a little bit about your partners. Like, who are the companies that you're working with? Is there some specific region where more horror games are being made? Is there something specific about these kind of teams, teams that you're that partnering with that are building these kind of games? We'll be back after a quick break. 
Ever thought modern video games should be more interesting? At the Gaming Blender, we take randomised genres, mechanics, and make a new game every episode. I've added permadeath. We have a survival game of a hardcore simulation, which could be House Flipper, and with the permadeath of XCOM. Then that all has to be an action adventure. Yes. Oh dear. Yes. And sometimes it doesn't quite work. And you have, you have a construction off over the course of the of the narrative. A construction off. The <laughs> way the way we can do this is that we ditch your idea entirely. Entirely. Check out the Gaming Blender on all your favorite podcast platforms now. Um, it's really general. I mean, you know, there is horror fans all over the world. And I mean, and I think one of the things about Layers of Fear, you know, when it came out, I mean, I, I think, um, you know, Bloober Team at that particular point in time was a small independent developer. They nowhere near as big as they are today. Um, they were quite small and they were known as an independent developer, a small independent developer. And they created this game um, uh, that sold or, you know, that, that, you know, has over, I think it's about five, three to five million users. I can't, rem- I can't remember. It is a quite a large amount. Um, and it's not just a game that everyone played. It's a game or a game that launched Bloober Team. It really is a game that launched, you know, a million horror games because people saw, saw what you could do and how you could tell stories with uh, interactive projects, tell really interesting stories with not only just music and uh, um, uh, uh, filmed content, and but interactive content. And, um, you know, you could really use it to find emotions and really drag emotions out of your users. And I think that is that is the sort of um, attraction of it is, is because it there's something else there in you that you don't present to anybody else that you can sort of in, uh, explore using the medium of a horror game in the safety of your own uh, in the safety of your own home. Um, it tells you as much about you as it does, you know, about um, uh, 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 whoever made the game. Um, and I, and I think that's what's really interesting about it. And you know, we all understand what it is to be scared. It's a basic human instinct and um you know if we can feel that we can control it with either a horror movie or a horror game i mean it's it's really kind of interesting and that's what people find it attractive and and they find it attractive to make that type of product as well because the challenge is how can i provoke this emotion um uh in somebody else because i can't um provoke pain using a computer game because I don't want to <laughs> um, you know I, I can't really provoke love it's that's a, a really you know a hard thing to do for even the season most seasoned storyteller um, but I can I can I think that I can produce that visceral reaction of fear um, so it, it is um, a, a vehicle for that and I and I really do think that's really the reason why people really enjoy it I mean most of our developers you know, hey, they're just normal people. They go to work in an office, as you say, said. Um, you know, they're 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 interested in lots of different things. Some play classical music. Some, it, it, yeah, yeah. It's not that they're they're all uh, like Ramstein uh, fans and and so on. So, a question again, um, a little bit about development, and then I'm gonna switch to publishing and uh, distribution. So, there. There's this idea. I'm I'm just gonna say uh, 
in general, right? So it doesn't mean that it's true. And you can maybe disillusion me or discuss it. So that some of these games, horror games, are cheaper to make. Example, so if I want to do a stylized project, <coughs> similar to, let's say, The Legend of Zelda, I need to have a lot of guys crafting content, creating visual effects, very time-consuming because it's almost everything done by hand. You can't really automate it and all. But then when I build something like Amnesia, <clears throat> I create an environment. I create maybe one very gory, scary character that chases me. And then I just create spaces where I hide and, uh, you know, less time, smaller team, less money involved. Um, is this true now? Was it ever true or it's just the same budget, the same amount of time and it's not really, it doesn't really matter? Well, I mean, I, I don't think it's necessarily about the budget um, uh, as about the, the creativity and the ability to actually use the tools in a way that can make someone scared. I mean, you know, there is a lot of, um, you know, interesting things out there that have been made on a low budget that are, are incredibly compelling and fun to to. to experience um uh so you know it, it i think you know generally speaking right in the whole games industry i think what is going to happen and you know certainly with the release of ue5 um and uh you know we have we have talked internally about this particularly with a lot of the game developers about you know that are thinking about okay what's the new project going to be and um you know a lot of them you know will say things like well all games are going to look beautiful within within five years. It'll be really hard to tell a game on a low budget from a game on a high budget because the plugins, the ray tracing, everything, the basic tools are there and they're all for free. And so everything is going to look beautiful. It's all really going to come down to your skill as a storyteller and as a game designer that's going to make the difference. So. The actual art style, the assets, and how it looks is not going to be as important uh, as as it has done in the past. You know, in the past, we all get excited about water or fire or something. Um, uh, whereas, whereas in the future, it's all going to look fantastic. So whether it's whether it's a game that costs you know, um, just someone's time or a, a game developed by you know uh, uh, fifty or sixty people, the real key is going to be in the storytelling and that is um, uh, um you know the the that is the challenge for everybody and it's not it's certainly not dissimilar in, in the in other in in other parts of the entertainment business as well i mean you know again um you know the cost of creating filmed content is not you know is not uh, uh is quite cheap um, but, you know, it comes down to the story that you can tell, how you can present it, and the, um, the character that you can, you can portray. It's not um, the quality of it. Uh, everything's fantastic now. <laughs> um, so it's, it, it really comes down to that sort of that, that style. And the quantity of, um, uh, of games that are on the market, I think it's like, you know, 19 games or, you know, on average or 20 games every day get, you know, released on Steam. So that over a course of a year is a huge amount. 
Um, and, you know, the, the only way to overcome that is, you know, focusing on that sort of story and, you know, being able to take that, take the user on a, on a journey. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily need to be, you know, the, you know, most amazing graphics or whatever. It just has to be engaging and it has to be a story that they want to care about. Scott, so l let's talk a little bit about the distribution. So I checked out your website. You actually have a, a store there where you can go and buy different uh, games. But this doesn't, I, it doesn't seem like this is the only way that you're distributing your product. No, 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 not, not um, at all. That, that, to be honest, that was an afterthought. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought so. So how, um, what are like the main channels where you're, selling i know that probably steam is very big maybe switch maybe some other platforms it would be very nice if you could kind of explain how our games are being sold right now and where so so funny i was having a very detailed um um discussion about this yesterday uh so essentially at the moment we sell directly on steam and we sell on playstation store the nintendo store and the xbox store um, this is where the customers are. This is um, where they buy games. Everywhere else, uh, in my opinion, is is kind of like um, uh, it's it's a whole other discussion. Um, uh, what I have found surprising over the last couple of years is that um, uh, there is still an appetite for physical games, particularly on PlayStation. Now, um, uh, we last year we did a, a, a collector's edition of Dark, and doing a collection edition, a collector's edition of Dark, allowed us to put more in it and charge a higher price for it. It sold out um, uh, in as soon as it was announced, um, and uh, that was you know on PlayStation Four, PlayStation Five, and Switch. Now we're going to do it uh, uh, again, generally range it again now. We're just going to deal with Koch to range it um, uh, throughout all the main mainstream sort of, you know, uh, stores such as Media Market here in, uh, in, in Europe, uh, in Asia, in Australia, those types of places in our electronic boutique. Because essentially at the end of the day, I mean, people are still going out and buying physical games. And, it, it, you know, surprisingly, I mean, a lot of my revenue has come from that uh, over the past 12 months as opposed to digital. So, you know, when it comes to sort of planning your your game development and thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to sell it? At the end of the day, Steam is a really, really tough one because it's so noisy. It, there's a lot of uh, things going on there. There's a lot of choice all the time. There's a lot of, you know, discounting and, and, and price cutting. The platforms... Once you get from Steam to the, the PlayStation to Xbox, they become a little bit more curated, if you like, um, uh, because of the cost to get your 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 game on that platform. And um, when they're a little bit more curated, it's a little bit easier to find a customer that's willing to buy your 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 title. Um, so uh, you know, our experience is you know we love the we love those platforms, and you know we really focus our energy on those platforms. Um, you know, PC, and that's you know with Dark, for example, we don't do the PC distribution on that. Um, uh, uh, Unfold Games does it directly. We just do the consoles um, because it's you know a, a nice uh, uh, thing that we can do, and we are able to apply the skills that we've learned from Bloober Team, from all our own personal experience, and apply it to getting the game 
to the, the platforms and getting it well or getting it ported in, in, in the best possible way. Scott, so to kind of talk a little bit about the role of the publisher, right? And you mentioned that uh, there is this um, situation where people are like, why are we sharing revenue with you? What are you bringing to the table? Um, you share it with Steam, you share it with a publisher, maybe with Walmart, then what are you left with, right? My question is like, what are the skills and the things that you bring that uh, ultimately help push more copies and make more money for the developer? Yeah, I think for for a challenge, the the, the challenges for a developer is to understanding what um, uh, uh, what is required for them to make their game successful. And we see a lot, especially over the last couple of years, and you've had these sort of dedicated Steam sales where um, uh, people you, you can put your unreleased game into that sale, whether it be, you know, PAX or whether it be, you know, Realms Deep or, or those types of things. And you can accumulate this huge amount of wish lists. And a, a lot of people go, oh, you know, I've got, you know, 70,000 wish lists, 60,000 wish lists. Why should I share that with you? I've done all the work. Um, and, but that's one part of it. That is just one one part part of it. Having the, those wish lists there and then trying to convert them is something else. Because usually those wish lists and uh, you know they age and uh, you know over the course of the development cycle, uh, two three years, um, you know the people that wish listed your game early on and may not be the ones that buy the game later on down the track. So it's 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 a very complicated complicated sort of um, uh, uh, um, process that you've got to put in place. So number one, if we a publisher, um, uh, so it's separated into two things. First, there's the marketing and then there's the technical side. So let's just focus on the marketing for a second. A publisher should have a team of publishing uh, uh, of marketing staff, and that staff we have uh, now we have nine people, and that they handle everything from community to advertising to building assets to making sure that that um, you know we uh, are mentioned everywhere from Reddit all the way through to you know all the Steam communities across all the different pages and they're all connected and we're all talking to all the people on discord all the time and we're doing that constantly so that the developers don't have to do that and the longer that we do that the more that we do that the better we get at it um you assume that companies like devolver uh, uh have a great deal of experience in that as do do we because we've been doing it a long long time and it's like practicing it's like practicing anything you know um uh you get better at it over time we have better relationships with media we have better relationships with uh influencers and we have better relationships with the platform holders because we are constantly talking to them and we're bringing them bringing them content um and that all has a huge value in greasing the wheels to get your game in front of people now um um you know, it, it's okay to go on Realms Deep and end up with 70,000 uh, um, uh, uh, wish lists, but what do you do with them? I mean, you know, who do you talk to at Microsoft? Who do you talk to at Sony? It's really hard to, uh, no matter how well you're financed, to go, well, I'm going to start a marketing department, I'm going to start it tomorrow, and they're just going to focus on my game. It, it's really difficult from that standing start to do that. And that's just all happening before release. Once you hit release, you suddenly are in the retail retailing business and, you know, retail, or retail customers don't sort of all rush out on one day and buy the game. You know, 
certainly some of them will, maybe 5% of your wish lists will, or 7% of your wish lists. And then you've got to work that title over the next five years. And that means that you have to ensure that you can get it into boxes, you can get it into bundles, you can get it into sales, and it's constant, constant, constant. And uh, uh, that is sort of the, the, the job of a marketing department in a publishing company to make sure that you are not leaving uh, revenue on the table. You've got to look for it everywhere and you've got to consistently look for it. And you know, the, the general rule of thumb, if you're going to give anywhere between 50% and 30% of your revenue to a publisher, you've got to think, well, um, I'm going to over time at least sell twice as many or three times as many, at least, at the very least. Um, at, the, at best, their connections, their experience in delivering a game to the marketplace will you know, give me a better chance at converting my you know, lifetime work into a, 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 a hit. Um, you know, there's no guarantees, of course. It is a sort of a very fickle marketplace, but, um, uh, uh, you know, you got to give yourself as many chances as you can to find success. And, you know, that's what a marketing department and a publisher should do for you from a marketing point of view. From a technical point of view, of course, um, there is a lot of things that a publisher can offer as well. That last mile of localization, of porting, the QA support, all those things that you need to do. And, um, you know, Certainly a, um, uh, a publisher like Fiademic and our connection with Bloober Team allows us to sort of, you know, get access to many um, services that perhaps a, a, a standalone solo developer is not going to get um, or not going to know where to look for them. Um, so, um, uh, so, yeah, and, and you know, th those technical services, again, have a lot of value whether it be just the porting expertise um, to the different platforms, knowing how to do all the certification processes and making sure that um, you can you can have good open dialogue with the platform holders and explore opportunities such as Game Pass, such as PlayStation Plus. All these types of things are really important to getting your game in front of as many people as possible. Scott, this is super interesting that you mentioned the platform holders and your experience working with Microsoft, Sony on uh, PlayStation and Xbox. And um, I have this question. So you mentioned that the market is very saturated. I mean, 20 games per day. There is so many games on like my PlayStation store. I can barely see what's coming out uh, apart from this. The, the front page, yeah. On Steam, it's just ridiculous. And if you go on uh, Switch or anywhere, kind of the discoverability process. I would say it's uh, <clears throat> still like in the middle ages somewhere, right? Because the, there's basically no information apart from the name and this little icon or, you know, tile that you have with the... So in this situation and these catalogs, how do you improve discoverability? Like what are the tools that you have that help you you know, especially with horror games, because they, it, it's difficult. That's what I'm saying. It, it's wildly difficult. I mean, it's difficult to predict um, anything these days with the, with, you know, the way our digital lives are shaped. I mean, you can't sort of manufacture something going viral. A lot of the times in our experience with Dark has literally been, um, you know, it, 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 it has just been um, being patient, being um, consistent, 
and you know just pushing and pushing and pushing all the time you know and you know interestingly enough i mean you know dark was released on pc in 2019 i think um in late 2020 we released uh the ps4 version and then ps5 and series x followed in 2021 and uh, it wasn't until the final quarter of 2020 2021 that um uh, uh you know it sold the most copies and even now today this last quarter that's gone through we've had a phenomenal run with it because people are still uh, are still discovering it we one of the things that we did when we ported it is tried to make it as future proof as possible by you know ensuring that it had haptic supports for the new uh, the new consoles in it so that you know it felt would always feel like a a new game that it wouldn't date as fast and um you know i'm happy to say that that's kind of what's happened um and you know just just yesterday it won the webby award for the people's choice uh, the people's choice webby award for independent creation um and uh you know again that's given it a whole lot of other uh um profiles in, in the press or around twitter i mean i saw a lot of things being shared last night on on, on twitter in regards to dark um so you know it, it really is a, a marathon in some in in some respects i mean certainly even with blooper team's titles they still continue to to sell and they continue to promote them all the time and they continue to work those titles um over time and so you know it, if you just walk away from something as uh, the, the day after you release it like we used to do um you know it it, it it just won't work. You've really got to work it over time now. You've got to really focus on the life cycle of a product as opposed to the day one. It's interesting that you mentioned this and this, and this uh, multi-platform angle because I remember the first time I actually played uh, a game called Hollow Knight was on Switch and only later did I figure out that it was released several years <laughs> after it has been already released on PC and it was a huge hit there, but it blew up only when it went on a different platform. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that that's sort of happening more and more. I think Among Us was another game that, um, you know, it, 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 it took a while for it to find an audience. Um, you know, I think there's just so much going on out there in the world. There's so much content. And, you know, I, I was uh, reading a, well, I was listening to a podcast the other day, an expert on, um, you know, filmed entertainment. And he was talking about look, the, the top five streaming companies were investing a hundred and 130 billion dollars in uh, in content this year there's just not enough credit cards in the world to pay for that you know it doesn't there's just not enough subscribers to go around um so not only is film content getting saturated game content's getting saturated everything's getting saturated so you've got to be patient now it's not a case of um you know back in the day when we had tekken i mean you know it was all about the day one number and rolling it out um or dragon ball or, or skyrim now it doesn't work that way we've had to rethink how we do this and how we approach it and um you you have to sort of do it uh, uh with a sort of a, a a life cycle product life cycle in mind as opposed to that day one number so have a let, let's go like a, a little bit on a different a street we talk a lot on our podcast and how do you start in video game development right so where do you go? You can start as, you know, like a tester, then do something else or an artist. <coughs> but how do you start working as a, 
as a in a publishing company like what are like the entry points there and how you can can you grow yeah yeah look at publishing um is it a different it, is it a different mindset that you have to have when you go well there? yeah i mean game development is all about uh, um you, you, you know finding um specialists a group of specialists to provide uh expertise as a group to create one product, whereas being a, a, a publisher is being more a generalist and knowing all the bits and pieces and how they all sort of sort of go together to affect an outcome. Uh, you have to know a little bit about game development and, and sort of who does what. Uh, so you, you can sort of understand how that product gets to uh, gets to release stage. But, you know, if there, there are you know, the big publishers, and there's a lot of consolidation going on at the moment. And, um, you know, interestingly enough, um, you know, the publishers, uh, you know, at the top levels, at the, in the executive uh, levels, you know, those people have been around for a while. And, um, you know, um, some of them have been quite, you know, uh, 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 famous others not so but um uh you know there 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 is a whole new generation of people that's sort of rolling through publishers at the moment and i think um you know it's it's a really fascinating you know area to be involved with and one of the things that makes it so attractive is the fact that uh you know every week you're dealing with a new product as opposed to a developer that has to develop the same product for five years straight um uh, i know a lot of people sort of kind of burn out you know um what one you know game number one to be hit so they're immediately developing the sequel and you know five years later they're still developing the same game and they just want to you know throw the computer out the window um so uh, but you know the great thing about publishing and being involved in that side of the business is that you you are constantly dealing with new games all the time because you know publishing is about building a pipeline and uh you know the bigger the pipeline uh the more products you have going through through the more efficient that, that your your publisher will operate or will become the more practiced your marketing teams will become the better the relationships that you have with the platform holders the better the relationships you have with media and so on and so forth so uh it's a very very different type of um, uh, uh, experience than just working in game development and game development I mean, you know, there's a game development, you know, you can tell your own story and that's what it's, that's what's great about it. But with game publishing, you get to help other people realize their dream of telling that story. So, and that's what it is being able to, I mean, I'm, I'm the world's worst storyteller, so I'm never going to make a game. Uh, uh, I'm never going to make a movie or write a book, but I can certainly help other people realize their dream in uh, bringing their story, bringing their, their, their world to, to market. So I want to ask you a little bit of a question that we kind of discussed with some of our representatives when we were talking about streamers. Um, and, you know, streamers right now is kind of like the one of the main avenues where you can spread the word about your game and uh, what they said is that they are very peculiar about the audience and they want to have offers that kind of cater to that audience so if i stream horror games <coughs> i want to sell with an affiliate link or something only horror games because that helps and it aligns with my audience um having kind of centered your attention 
attention at uh, horror in general as a genre, does it help you sell more copies in, in general? Does it help you kind of find that sweet spot and uh, push kind of more stuff out there? Or it doesn't really matter, it, you just kind of like to work in this space? Look, it, it is becoming ever more important. And I mean, we, we see it just in, I mean, Dark Fracture is a game that um, is coming coming later. Um, you know, we haven't sort of announced a release date yet, but uh, uh, the demo, Dark Fracture Prologue, which is sort of the, the story before the actual, you know, full game starts, is available now for free on, on Steam. And we see it all the time, the wish lists going up and spiking and down and spiking. And every time they spike, we can almost certainly find a YouTuber that has um, uh, found it uh, and, you know, played it for his audience. And, um, you know, the, the, the resulting interest that we get straight after that is just immediate. It's, it's amazing. But, you know, one thing is, is sort of clear to me is that it's really difficult for us to go out there and ask um, streamers to support our new game or play our new game because we don't necessarily understand their audience as um, as intimately as they do. Um, and, you know, um, what, what I've found is that, you know, if, if every time we have gone and sort of asked someone to play something new, they sort of, mm, you know, how much are you going to pay me to do it? Because, you know, I, I risk losing viewers if they turn on to my stream at night and don't see something that they know. Um, so it's kind of like a two-way street and it's a very, very difficult one. Um, uh, but you know, they are super important streamers and, you know, but I think that the key is, you know, not to try and get them to, uh, play your game or push your game is to try and think about how do you make content, uh, that streamers would enjoy and that their audience will want to watch that is the sort of kind of the key and it goes back to the what we we're talking about before is you know that uh if it's all about the narrative the storytelling and the game it doesn't matter um about the you know the quality of the water or the reflections or the light uh, and the budget and how many people worked on it it comes down to the story the narrative style and the thought process that's gone into the game as to whether or not it's going to be something that streamers can use to engage their audiences with um so and and, and this has been going on for for, for ages i mean i, I remember in, in the start of my career i was stationed in korea and there was three tv channels at the time uh, broadcasting uh computer games 24 hours a day and that it was all warcraft warcraft and warcraft and starcraft um and i remember going in to see them saying look um, you know, we had this game called Unreal Tournament <laughs> and it's going to be fantastic. We can make a TV show around it. And uh, uh, they just looked at me and said, mm, our audience likes StarCraft, you know. <laughs> and, um, you know, that was kind of, that was it. Their audience liked StarCraft. They kept on playing StarCraft for the, for the, for the next 10 years um, because, you know, that, that's kind of the, the human condition. Uh, it's very hard to introduce them to new content um, and I see that with my kids as well, you know, that they're, they're, they're out watching streamers all the time and they will watch a streamer because he, they know what he's going to play. They don't want to see something new. They, they just want to see what that streamer's 
playing because they expect that's what they're going to get. Um, so it, it is a kind of really difficult one. And luckily, I mean, Dark Fracture Prologue has been out there for a couple of years now. And, um, you know, it, 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 satisfies all the needs of uh, of um, you know horror streamers in that it provides the jump scares and the, the detention and it's nice and it fits with their format um, so so yeah they're all they, they inevitably will will sort of add it to their repertoire and you know we'll see the result of that but you know other games that we've had and tried to go out and and push to get streamers to play it, you know, really hasn't kind of worked for us because at the end of the day, we don't know those streamers' uh, audiences and, you know, people are people and they don't really like to see new things. Um, they'd much prefer to see something that they, they're comfortable with and familiar with. Um, so it takes it goes back to, again, the, 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 the long-term uh, strategy of, you know, um, uh, bringing a game to an audience. It's not all about day one anymore. It is a, a longer-term pursuit. Scott, so we're almost out of time, but I had like this last question kind of recommendation I hope you can give. Um, so if I'm a developer, <clears throat> I developed a premium title and I want to go to market. So what are the three things that I absolutely must do in order not to fail? Number one, don't get too overly ambitious um, because, you know, there is a lot you can bite off a lot more than you can chew um uh and you'll be developing your first game for 10 years as opposed to you know one or two so be conservative and be realistic about what you can do as a solo developer or even if it's like three of you or four of you be realistic about what it is that you can that you can do and be thorough about setting your goals so make your game design document and 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 stick to it like glue don't let the uh let it drift um uh um so so that's number one number two uh if you're focusing on game development um think about adding a publisher to that mix there's publishers out there that will help you um but make sure you've got a good relationship with that publisher and you understand where they're coming from and um how you fit with uh, uh fit into their roster of games and you know how they're going to uh, uh treat that game over a longer term um so and number three well it has to be fun if it's not fun you know if if, if you're not enjoying making it no one's going to enjoy playing it. So, you know, it really does have to be, um, you know, a, a labor of love and something that you want to do rather than sort of something that you think you should be doing. All right, Scott, I think it was very inspiring. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we'll leave the link to the description uh, in the description for the website so people can check out your catalog and maybe send your game. Thank you so much. Have a good Thanks, day. Thanks, Kirill. Thank you for having me. Thanks for enjoying another episode of the 80 Level Roundtable podcast. Check out upcoming episodes on the 80 Level website at 80.lv. Join our career site at 80.lv RFP. And share our podcast with friends and on your social networks.